everybody, and welcome back to the Bible Breakdown. Glad to be back. I was on vacation last week, but even while I was on vacation, I considered finding a way to do the breakdown. I did miss getting to do it, but I'm glad to be back with you this week. Next week, it's possible there may be no episode either. We've got a family worship Sunday here at Solid Rock, so we've got no kids ministry. I will actually be preaching that Sunday, though, so if you miss my voice, then you will be able to find it on July 3rd. But we should be back on track after that, rolling on in the Old Testament. Last week, we started into the book of Judges. So we kind of got a little picture of what the entirety of the book of Judges is about. Uh, important, important, important. Judge means less like we think of a judge, whereas they make decisions and legal matters and more like a deliverer. Okay, so when we talk about the book of Judges and we talk about Samson today being a judge, it's less that he's making decisions in a legal situation, but more that he's a deliverer. Okay, so that's what the book of Judges is kind of about. So the uh, book of Judges basically goes in this cycle that we call the Judges cycle. wonder where we got that. But basically, here's the cycle. The people of Israel will start to follow other gods as a discipline. God will send uh, another nation or allow another nation to uh, be in power over them. The people will cry out to the Lord for deliverance. The Lord will hear them and send a deliverer who will rescue them from the foreign nation that is in power over them. However, it's a cycle because then, uh, well, eventually the Israelites start, start following other gods again, worshiping idols. So that's mostly what the Israelites are doing wrong here. And uh, if you remember from Joshua, they were commanded to take this land that God had given them. However, they started to kind of assimilate with the other nations that were around them instead of totally wiping them out. So that is what is kind of the precedent for the situation that they're in. That's what happened in their nation's history that allowed for all of these things. They're just right in the middle of Canaan, and uh, we're going to be talking about their dealings with the Philistines here today. The Philistines are going to be quite a thorn in their side for many, many years. But yes, the most famous of all the judges is Samson. When I was a kid and I would get bored in church, I would pick up one of the Bibles and I would usually turn to Judges until I could find Samson's story, and then I would read it. It's a very fascinating story. Um, it's four chapters, pretty much all narrative, very unique stuff. Samson does a lot of uh, incredible feats of strength that are really interesting. He is also um, a fool. Samson's also kind of a fool. And he is not the hero of this story. I will go ahead and spoil that for you. He is not the hero of this story. I wondered why we're doing Samson instead of maybe a Gideon. Gideon's at least a little more of a, uh, I guess, virtuous character than Samson. But Samson's where we're at. So that's what we're going to talk about. So, like I said, it's four chapters worth. So the first chapter is basically about, um, you might call it Samson's origin story. It's when the uh, an angel of the Lord comes to visit uh, his dad, Manoah, and Manoah's wife, who unfortunately never gets a name. Womp. Too bad. She had been barren up to that point, but the angel of the Lord announces they're going to have a child. This is an, a common enough story in scripture, but it usually signals a very important birth. Um, John the Baptist is the one that usually pops up for me with, with Elizabeth. And uh, then, of course, with uh, Sarah, 
giving birth to uh, Isaac as well with Abraham. But usually, again, a very important birth. Samson's, Samson's no Isaac and he's no John the Baptist, that's for sure. But uh, they did find out that this child was to be set apart in a certain way. He was to be a Nazarite. So to be a Nazarite meant to follow a certain set of vows. And this person would take these vows. Um, I don't think it was always necessarily from birth, um, but uh, it's outlined in Numbers 6. So the, the book of Numbers chapter 6 outlines this. But here's basically what it's distilled into. First, no grapes. So you might think like, oh, he's not allowed to drink wine, which that is true. No wine for a Nazarite, no other uh, fermented drink, no other alcohol, but also no fruit of grapes or skin of grapes. So just like no grapes. Grapes are no good for a Nazarite, apparently. Uh, second one that you probably, if you know the story of Samson, this one will sound familiar, no cutting the hair. So the hair was meant to grow long. And then a third one was they were especially prohibited from being around dead bodies. Now, it's not like other people were encouraged to be around dead bodies, but it's like a special prohibition. One of the things it says in number six is even if your father or mother should die, uh, go get somebody else. Don't handle the body yourself. Um, and there's a whole thing that they were supposed to go through this cleansing if uh, like somebody died suddenly around them. You know, if they basically they couldn't help it. There was this whole cleansing thing that they would have to do. Now, the Nazarite vow in Samson's story really shapes the story. It reveals the deep, deep irony of his life. Okay, so keep that Nazarite vow, no grapes, no cutting the hair, no dead bodies, all of those very important in the story of Samson. So we see after the announcement of his birth, after he has already been born, we see in chapter 14, 1 through 3, it says this, Book of Judges. Yeah, I said that. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the, da the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. So good old Samson First journey we see him on, he's going to a Philistine village and he sees an attractive woman and demands she be his wife. That's pretty much the uh, entirety of his experience with her up to this point. Uh, now, not only was one of the things that they were not supposed to do was to worship other, uh, to worship idols, right? But per the law and per Joshua's warning at the end of the book of Joshua, Israelites were also told, do not intermarry with the people of the Philistines. His parents would prefer a wife from Israel, but he's pretty certain, and they just kind of go with it. They don't seem terribly concerned. They give a little lackluster. They're not like, but wait, it's against the it's against the law. Are you sure? It's more like, really, you want to go take a wife from the Philistines? You gross. So the reason he wants to marry this woman, though, is because she is right in his eyes. Now, if that has a familiar ring to it, you may be thinking of the end of the book of Judges, in chapter 21, uh, verse 25, gives us kind of a summary of the book. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So that's kind of the theme of the book of Judges is a lot of people doing what's right in their own eyes. So Samson here is clearly playing right into the conclusion statement of the whole book. Or is he? Let's read verse 4. 
His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over Israel. The he in verse 4 is referring to God. Very interesting. So this spirit-led author is giving us an editorial aside, letting us know that this is actually what God had planned. It seems very interesting, but it seems that God's plan was to rile up the relationship between Israel and Philistines using the powder keg that is Samson. So this is not, like I said, this is no John the Baptist. This is no Isaac. This is no Joshua, no Moses. This is Samson. Samson's a different type of hero. He's like an anti-hero. He causes chaos. And let's see a little more about what kind of guy God is using here. So moving down to verse 5 in chapter 14. Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah. And they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. You get it. We all get that. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on, eating as he went. And he came to his father and mother and gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. So Samson is walking around and is attacked by a lion. The spirit of the Lord rushes upon him and he tears it limb from limb. Just like, as we all know, one might tear a young goat. I think that's one of the best comparisons in all of scripture. And I would honestly love to know what, what, what that means or what that would be like for, to watch somebody tear a young goat. Probably be interested to watch him tear this lion limb from limb. I like lions though. I like, I like the big cats. So maybe I wouldn't like that so much. However, don't let the irony be lost on us that he is in a vineyard. Okay, he's in the vineyard of Timnah. Remember, Nazarites, don't mess with grapes. Okay, and so what he probably should have done after this uh, episode is to go have this ritual cleansing done by a priest. Okay, because I don't think you would say because he's a Nazarite that he shouldn't try to protect himself from this wild animal. Uh, but he was around a dead body in a way that was kind of outside of his control. So instead, so what the Nazarite vow would say is you should go and have this ritual cleansing done. But instead, he goes about his business with the future wife. Uh, apparently talking with her went fine and she's still good after they spoke, um, which is good. And then this is, can you imagine how weird this is? He just is on his way back to pick her up and he eats honey out of a lion's corpse. So again, remember, he's not supposed to be around dead bodies. He specifically seeks out the carcass of this lion, and then he eats honey out of it. And then he gives the honey to his parents, which is really gross. Okay, I mean, I know it's like a long time ago and sanitation and all that kind of stuff wasn't as big a thing. But even so, this is not, this is not normal, you know, 3,000 years ago behavior to do something like this. So this, this guy's a weird guy. Samson... Uh, he's pretty much showing no acknowledgement of God, the covenant that he's made with the people of Israel, the law, any of that kind of stuff. And no respect for his parents either. 
because he's kind of implicating them in this. So after he goes to get his wife, who actually also does not receive a name, which is unfortunate, don't get this person confused with Delilah, who is coming up later. This is his first, this is his first wife that um, something happens to her at the end of this little story. I'm sorry to spoil it for you. This is his first wife. Delilah's coming later. He's usually most famous for his relationship with Delilah. But so they have this wedding feast. It's like a seven-day feast. And so Samson poses a riddle to some 30 Philistines with a wager that he will get them 30 garments and 30 changes of clothes if they can guess his riddle. But they owe him 30 of each if he stumps them. So this is the riddle he gives them. Out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. What is, what is with this? Why are people accepting riddle challenges when the answer could literally be anything? The answer to this riddle is I ate honey out of a lion's carcass. How in the world could these Philistines have guessed this riddle? Why would they have entrusted Samson to give them a fair riddle? I don't know about y'all. I know this may not be a popular opinion. In The Hobbit, Bilbo, when he says the what's in my pocket, and I know it's like an accident and everything, but that's cheating. Okay, that's not very fair. So that's not really a riddle. It's just like, do you know a piece of information that you could never possibly know? Which I don't know. I'm, this I thought it was unfair. Maybe this is another way that we see Samson's not a great guy. Because this is a really rude riddle. How in the world could they have come up with an answer? Well, they understandably can't guess it. And so they come up with a an alternative solution. And they threaten Samson's wife and her father. Okay, so um, they say, hey, you got to get the answer for us or we're going to burn you and your father's house down, which is pretty brutal. So um, what she does, she goes, verse 16, you only hate me. You do not love me. You've put a riddle to my people. You haven't told me what it is. He said, I haven't even told my own parents. Why would I tell you? But she basically uh, nags him for seven days until he gives her the answer. Predictably, she tells them they come back and they give this what is sweeter than honey? What's stronger than a lion? Again, like how, how could they have possibly guessed this quote unquote riddle, this piece of trivia about Samson that no one witnessed. So um, he's mad as you might suspect he goes and he kills 30 people and in anger to get the clothes. So the Samson, he's a brutal guy. Okay. He's no sweetheart. Um, so that's how he gets the, Clothes, and then when he comes back to see his wife, uh, her dad is like, "Oh, I uh, passed her along to one of your friends because I thought you wouldn't want anything to do with her anymore." And so Samson gets mad about that too. He gets three hundred foxes, ties them tail to tail, sticks torches in the spot where the tails are tied, and he sends the foxes into the Philistines' crops, and they're they are burned by the torches that the foxes are carrying. Again, very rude. In, in retaliation, the Philistines then kill his wife and father-in-law. This is a, it's a, I'm telling you, it's a brutal story. But also you can't deny it's pretty interesting. But it is very brutal. So then Samson, more retaliation. Okay, so he goes and uh, after the fox incident, um, he goes and uh, some people come up after I think the the part where they burn the wife and the father-in-law um, and he ends up kind of going into this uh, kind of he hides basically in the cleft of a rock 
um, in this place called Etam. So um, some people of Judah came up to him and he like, hey, you know that the Philistines are looking for you, right? And he tells them, that's fine. Just you're not going to punish me yourselves. They say no. Um, and so they bind him and give him over to the Philistines. Well, as Samson is often one to do, he breaks out of his bonds. And then he takes a donkey's jawbone, a fresh, and we're told it's a fresh jawbone of a donkey. So this thing is probably still got, like, it's probably not really like super hard yet. It's probably still kind of fleshy. Um, and he takes down a thousand Philistines. And remember, he's not supposed to be around dead bodies. So he goes, he kills those 30 people to get their clothes. Um, and then now he's in very close combat, killing a thousand people. Um, so again, this is, this is just the great irony that he has taken this Nazarite vow and that he, he, there's probably nobody that is around more dead bodies than Samson. Like nobody ever. He's probably around the most. So it's a brutal, very brutal story. So chapter 15, verse 18, we finally, this is the first time that we see Samson actually even like acknowledge God in any way. And it's not for the nicest reason. It says, and he was very thirsty and he called upon the Lord and said, you've granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. Shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? So basically his first uh, interaction with God that we see is him whining that he is thirsty. So God provides him with some water. Um, and that's that's really all we all we see up to this point. Now we get into chapter 16, and that is where Delilah shows up. Okay, so uh, Samson meets Delilah. Um, he, she looks good in his eyes, I guess, again. Uh, the Philistines find out. They take a little bit different tactic with Delilah here. They offer her money to uh, deliver Samson. So 1,100 pieces of silver to find the secret of his strength, to uh, incapacitate him allow him to be captured is basically what it is. So um, De Delilah asks him, uh, honey, uh, where does your strength lie and how could you be bound? Just, I'm just curious. I'm, I'm very, I'm very curious how she could have gone about that covertly. Um, this is pretty obvious what she's, what she's up to. Here's the thing though. I think Samson is not stupid, but he's just crazy prideful. I think that he knows exactly what's going on. And he's like, man, I'll be fine. So um, she asks him, first he tells her, uh, if you get seven fresh bowstrings, which also the bowstrings would probably have been made of the sinew of some animal. And if they were fresh, that means they'd come from a dead body recently. I'm telling you, it's crazy with this guy and the dead bodies. So seven fresh bowstrings, Philistines come, they ambush him, he breaks out of it. There's nothing about seven fresh bowstrings. We know that already from the story. Same deal. She asks him again. She's like, I'm so embarrassed that my friends tried to tie you up and you lied to me. So, so you better really tell me. And uh, the next time he says, well, if they're like new ropes, then that nobody's ever used, then I'll lose my strength. Busts out of it again. Because again, that's not the truth. Now, the third time, he tells her, well, if you tie my hair in a loom, basically, then, then I will be lose my power. Which he's playing with fire a little bit at this point, because we know that um, 
well, maybe we don't fully know because it's only one of the parts of the Nazarite vow, but the secret was in his hair. Okay, so he's kind of playing with fire, fire here. Again, I think it's just like a crazy amount of pride at this point. But she finally breaks him. Chapter 16, verse 16 and 17. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. So she too was able to overcome Samson with the power of nagging to the point where his soul was vexed to death. Poor Samson. A proverb that Samson would probably really relate to, Proverbs 21, 9. Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. I could easily apply to a husband too. Nobody wants to be in quarrels all the time. But Delilah actually is more less a fan of scripture and more a fan of the show Friends, where one day Monica Geller comes into her apartment. The apartment is very clean. She proclaims to Chandler, nagging works. Now he'd actually hired a maid. He hadn't cleaned himself, but that's not relevant. But you can see how Delilah would like that. So they cut his hair, and this time it actually works. They capture him. He's basically taken as an entertainer for some high-level Philistines. They gouge out his eyes. And then finally, Samson remembers the Lord again. Second time in his life, as far as we know. Down at the end of chapter 16 of the book of Judges, verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zerah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. So they take him back to this palace and they basically brought him out to entertain them, to kind of torture him, entertain themselves. He was tied to these pillars with some chains. He calls out to God. He's like, I know my hair is cut, but just how about this one last time? Let's, let's take down some Philistines. And so... We know he'd killed quite a few in his life, so um, but this one, it says more. And then we get actually in verse 27, it says that on the roof of this palace, there were about 3,000 3, men and women um, who looked on. So that's kind of at least a base level that we know how many Philistines perished then. Um, so, yeah, that's the story of Samson. It is, like I said, it's it's wild. It's a wild story. It's very interesting. Um, you kind of never see any of it coming in terms of like one section of the story to the next. Like, yeah, you see it coming when Delilah's asking, how could you be bound? Just wondering. But like the things that happen in his life are very strange, very unique. 
And that's a lot of what the book of Judges is like. There's these, these people who are kind of unlikely heroes that God uses. But that is really, I think, where our application lies for the story of Samson. Because, yeah, he did a bunch of awesome feats of strength. Um, I mentioned several of them. And that's kind of what he's known for. But he was not someone to be emulated. Um, he was not somebody who was uh, o- obedient. He was no model Israelite. Again, he was no Isaac. He's no John the Baptist. He's no Moses. He's no Joshua. He's the Samson. He's kind of on his own. But what we learn from that is that God is the one who is the ultimate author of righteous judgment. And he can use anyone. So the story of Samson is about how God is delivering the Israelites from the oppression of the Philistines. That's what Samson's story is about. That's the purpose. It says that he was delivering Israel for 20 years from the Philistines. And so that's what God was accomplishing. He was staying covenant faithful to his people. And he was using someone like Samson as messed up as he was. Now, this is not the only place in scripture that we see things like this. Uh, In the book of Habakkuk, everybody's favorite, right? Everybody knows Habakkuk. Well, in Habakkuk chapter 1, Habakkuk is kind of lamenting some of the things going on, especially um, the rise of of pagan nations that are coming against Israel. And God tells Habakkuk, look around at the nations and be utterly astounded. I'm doing something that you would not believe even if you were told. And that thing is that God is telling him that he's doing is he's raising up the Chaldeans, a.k.a the Babylonians, to bring righteous judgment against Judah. So totally unrighteous Babylon, not a bunch of people who are seeking the Lord, but rather a a pagan nation that is being raised up to deliver righteous judgment on the people of Judah. Okay. And ultimately, too, we know that the people of Babylon are going to take captives of the people of Judah, which in a, in a way is actually a preservation of God's people. We'll probably, we'll get there at some point. We'll talk more about that. But this is an, another instance in which we see that God is using somebody who isn't necessarily, in fact, this time it's all, and with the Babylonians, the whole nation, this one's just one person, and he's at least from the nation of Israel, but that he's, he uses unrighteous people for his righteous purposes. And it's a good time for us to remember that not only Christians opposed slavery or fought for civil rights or seek justice, that there are there are believers who did all those things, but there are also believers who ignore slash ignored all those things. And that God raised up people that were not believers to accomplish his good and righteous purposes because God loves justice. He doesn't just like punishment, right? Sometimes we can get that confused. We think, ah, justice is punishment, but God loves justice, which sometimes is a, uh, a lightening of punishment. And so not only Christians do all good things in the world, right? God can use ungodly leaders to accomplish good things and represent good values, even if those leaders themselves are ungodly, which that's the, the point of this is that God is the one who deserves the credit. Not that we should just accept everybody who thinks they're doing something good and say they're doing something good. 
But when we can look at things that are happening and recognize that God is ultimately the author of these good things, if they are indeed good things, then it should give us an opportunity to give God the credit. Sometimes we can be tempted to give it to people when they're good people, right? So maybe like you go to a, a church and it's growing, you might, uh, somebody might say, oh, the pastor, he's so great. Or um, you might, you know, go to, um, you know, let's say a, a homeless shelter or something like that and be like, oh, wow, they're doing so many good things for the city. These, these people who are running the shelter are so great. I think sometimes when we see people that are not seeking the Lord do good things, it's a reminder that God is sovereign over it all and that he is ultimately righteous and that he does have a heart for making things right, even when his people are being disobedient. So the story of Samson is a good time for us to reflect. Let's remember who the author of all good things is. Let's remember who the author of all truth is, of all justice. It's ultimately God. And we as people are his image bearers, and we have aspects of ourselves that reflect the character of God, but no one does it perfectly. God cannot be reflected perfectly, even in believers on this side of heaven because we too struggle with sin. So when we see good things in the world, when we see good things even in our our churches and our families, instead of giving credit or blame to any of the people involved, let's remember that if it's a good thing, that its ultimate author is God, and he's the one who is accomplishing his goodwill for our good and for his glory.